If you have a Bible and you'll read along with us, we're going to take one verse as a reading lesson today. It is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 27. Book of Proverbs, chapter 27. And our attention this morning will be upon verse 4. Again, our scripture reading is in Proverbs chapter 27, and we'll read verse 4. It says this, Wrath is cruel, and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Now, I'm going to reread this, and um, I'm going to do it in a different version of the Bible that may help us to get a little bit more full meaning here. But it also would say this, Wrath is cruel, and anger is an outrageous flood. Who is able to stand before jealousy? The title of our message this morning is... Jealousy, a dangerous sin. Jealousy, a dangerous sin. I remember uh, when I first got called to preach, being told that uh, when you preach, people will um, agree with you when you preach on sin as long as you don't get specific. But then when you get specific about specific sins, everybody gets uncomfortable. And so um, I suppose it's not my intent this morning to make anyone uncomfortable, at least for me not to. Uh, But certainly if the Word of God causes us to look at ourselves and consider these truths, um, I hope that you would look past any of my insufficiencies and my failures in delivering the message and consider Uh, these thoughts on jealousy this morning. Now, in the King James here, it uses the word envy. And I spent a lot of time this week thinking about the difference between envy and jealousy, or if there was a difference or not. And one of the unfortunate things about using a version that is old is that words change in their meaning, and the way that we use the words today have a slight difference than what they did before. Now, as I studied these words and these thoughts, um, I think that I came to a conclusion about there's a little bit of a difference between envy and jealousy. If I go to a, uh, if I'm driving down a road and I see a car dealership and it has a really nice vehicle, as I told you a couple weeks ago, for my boy's sake, if it's a Lamborghini, since that's what they're big on right now, And I look at it and I say, you know, I want that. We could call that covetousness or being envious of that. But I think jealousy has a slight difference. Jealousy is not only the desire for something that maybe someone else has or owns. But in addition, it's a resentment that that person has it. So not only do I want something... It's not enough for me to get that. But what is additionally necessary for somebody to be jealous is, I want it, and I don't want them to have it. 
Now, this verse of scripture that we read this morning is telling us of the danger of jealousy. And it points out some things. First, it says wrath is cruel. It says anger is like an outrageous flood. Now, both of these descriptions of wrath and anger ought to alarm us. That when we're full of wrath, it's a cruel thing. Now, that word cruel is, a, is an expressive word, right? If you look at somebody and you say what they're doing is cruel, for whatever reason, I think of that as an extreme. That's an extreme, extremely descriptive word. But then the author goes on to the next thing and, and he raises the stakes a little bit. And he says, anger is like a flood, an outrageous flood. And then he gets to the end and he says, essentially, I don't have any words to describe the effect of jealousy. Who can stand before that? Who can survive jealousy? We want to bring out a few things this morning about jealousy. And I suppose as we preach this morning and if the Lord would help us to make some illustrations today, I want you to continuously ask the Lord as you're hearing this, do you struggle with jealousy? And if so, towards whom? Or towards what? We, there are some things about jealousy that are dangerous because it falls within a certain category of sins. Jealousy is a hidden sin. And you recognize as we go through the scriptures, but also just simply stepping back and taking a look that the sins that are hidden from everybody else are most often the most dangerous sins. Because when you have a sin that's obvious, when you have a sin that other people can see, or that when you indulge in it, you're, you're aware of it because you're actually actively, physically doing something, there is somewhat of a natural restraint or a natural reminder that what you're doing is wrong. So if I go out and I gamble, I have to leave my home or I have to purposely on a, on a device pull something up and there are all these things that I have to do that trigger the fact or that have the potential to trigger the fact by my actions that what I am doing is sinful and I ought not to do it. Very often when you commit a certain type of physical or natural sin, it includes other people. And so you're standing in the presence of other people and they're behaving in a sinful way and you're behaving in a sinful way. And so there are all of these things that can trigger your mind and your heart to reveal to yourself you're living in sin and that, though, that awareness can provoke you towards repentance and making things right. But when, when we begin to perform Secret sins, hidden sins, sins of the mind and sins of the heart, they can live there and build a mansion within us and the whole time we are unaware of the, the presence of that sin or the extent to which that sin governs our lives. And jealousy is one of those sins that is so elusive and that we do it so naturally Often we're not even aware of it. When's the last time that you repented for being jealous? Where you actually said with your lips, Lord, I'm sorry that I'm jealous of this person. I can admit as I study this this week, it's been a really long time. I don't know if I ever have said that. 
It's not something that naturally gravitates towards my mind because it's so natural to my flesh. Here, one of the dangers of jealousy is that it remains hidden. You know, Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount why those sins are so dangerous. He doesn't speak specifically of jealousy, but what he does speak of, one of the things that he talks about is hatred. And then he goes on from there and he says lust. Now, before those two things, I want you to notice when we get to the Beatitudes, as Jesus is entering that sermon, he is pointing out qualities or dispositions of the heart. Also things that are hidden. If a person is humble, listen, I can act humble and not be humble. Humility is a quality or a disposition of the heart. God sees people who are humble. No matter how I might laud people with praise for their humility, no matter what kind of reputation somebody has, God sees beyond those things and recognizes whether those things are false humility or true humility. And Jesus goes through this list as he's talking to his disciples. And what he's saying is, True righteousness, a true a person who is a follower of mine has these qualities of the heart that are hidden from the view of other people. Most of those are. And then he launches right into, be careful because there are other things that are in the heart, but they're hidden. This morning, one of the big dangers of, of jealousy is that it's hidden. But the biggest danger of a hidden sin is that because we're not provoked to repent of it from just witnessing it, it then suits itself to be a natural part of our character. You know that voice in your head? I always feel funny saying that because I don't want you to look at me funny. But you know that voice in your head? The you, that, that ongoing conversation that you have, the thought process that you have, how you filter and evaluate and assess. If you're like me, I have conversations with myself in a sense, right? As I'm contemplating what I'm seeing and what I'm doing and and trying to evaluate those things, there's this ongoing voice in my mind that I have. And I'm sure you're the same, or I hope you're the same, right? You might get a, a prescription for a psych evaluation here soon. One of the dangerous things about hidden sin is that those things ingrain themselves into our character. Have you ever seen bitterness control somebody and they didn't even realize they were bitter? See, it's on the inside and their life is propelled forward by this bitterness and it has begun to take over their character. Many things in their character that were blooming and blossoming, that were beautiful parts of their character, that bitterness takes root in those same places and in the same way that a weed can get right next to a beautiful flower and that weed begins to spread and then it begins to root up that beautiful flower the same way on many of the hidden sins that we have. When a man or a woman struggles with lust, what they begin to find or they struggle with an addiction towards something, what they begin to find is that slowly that that bad hidden sin begins to spread and grow and conquer the other parts of your character until it becomes such a natural part of who you are that you never identify it for what it is. It begins to define that person in your mind because now it's the lens by which you see the rest of the world. 
And so every time you see someone that has an elevated position, every time you see someone who has what you've got, you begin to be jealous of those things or jealous of the place they've gotten in life or even whenever you already have something, but you see somebody else getting praise for the same thing that you have, you still have this sense of jealousy for the praise that they've gotten. And the way that people interpret the world is by just wanting to really be exalted and and have the, the preeminence and have what and hope that nobody else has what this person has. The danger of it is that a secret sin like jealousy can begin to conquer the rest of who you are. It's why it's so essential that we ask God, as, as the psalmist tells us, as the word of God tells us, that he would open our hearts, that he would reveal to us our sin. Because if you've ever had those times where God reveals to you, not only your sin, because often what we do is this, we know that we're a little jealous. And we can admit to ourselves, you know what? I struggle with jealousy or maybe I have a grudge against somebody. But what we don't recognize is how far that has grown and how much of us it is conquering. Here, this sin tells us or this verse tells us that it is, it's greater than an outrageous flood. That's the effects of jealousy because it really does two things. One, it propels us to action. And we're going to look at a few people this morning where we see in the Bible, there are no boundaries to how far that jealousy can take you. But one thing it also does before I get to it, the actions that we commit is that it prevents certain things. Do you recognize when somebody has a jealous heart, they cannot also have a loving heart? If I am jealous of you, I cannot love you at the same time. Because inherent in being jealous is I hope you don't succeed. I hope you don't rise. I hope you're not blessed. I hope you're not benefited by something. I want that for myself. And honestly, I want you to kind of suffer a little bit. Kindness. When you see people who are jealous, they're not very kind people. They're not very joyful people. You know, in the New Testament, we find whenever before Paul in Galatians chapter five begins to list the fruits of the spirit, he first identifies the works of the flesh. And one of the first ones that he points out in our King James, it's envying, but it's jealousy. And he says a work of the flesh, something that naturally rises in us is a jealousy towards those things. And he warns us. Of that, And what he's trying to do is he's trying to show you that if we live according to the flesh, these things are natural, one of those being jealousy. But if we live and surrender to the Spirit and our life is full of the Spirit, then those things will not be present. But what will be present is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and goodness and kindness and faithfulness. Those things will be present. And so there's a sense in which when when we fall to jealousy of other people, All of the other things that are crowded out are the very things that God desires to define our character. Or in other words, we cannot grow into who God wants us to be if we're what has been imprinted upon our character by habitual practice is being jealous. Here we find in the scriptures many examples. You know, as I was going through, and I, I, in my mind, when I start try to thinking of examples of something, I always start in Genesis chapter 1. And then in my mind, a lot of times, I just kind of go through and think of the different books and the different eras and the different times. And 
as I began to do that, I was just overwhelmed by the fact that the very second story of the Bible, but really you could go even before that, and you could talk about Satan and the reason why he was cast out of heaven. It is a direct link to jealousy. He had pride about his position. He had pride, and certainly I'm not going to try to split hairs this morning because there's a sense to which pride is the ultimate source or, or the strength of jealousy. Nonetheless, he was jealous of God's exaltation, and he wanted that even so much that we find that reoccurring in the book of Matthew with Jesus whenever the devil comes to him, offers him all the things of the world if Jesus would merely bow down and worship him because he was jealous of the fact that he knew the whole world is bowing down or will one day bow down to Christ and he doesn't want that so he's given all the offers in the world and Satan from the very beginning what we find is the original sin is the presence of jealousy he wanted to be exalted and everybody else to be beneath him and somebody else had that he wasn't satisfied until he got it But we find the second human story of the Bible in the story of Cain and Abel. And these two brothers go before the Lord and they make an offering. And it hit me like it hasn't before. I don't know why. It's a simple thing to point out. But Abel comes with a sacrifice. Cain comes with a sacrifice. God is happy with Abel's. God is not pleased with Cain's. And Cain gets bitter and resentful both towards God and towards his brother. Now here's an interesting thing that I begin to notice in the scriptures. Most of the the jealousy in the scriptures takes place within a family. Isn't that interesting? You grow up with somebody and perhaps a parent favors one or the other. Or there is a pecking order, a hierarchy that for whatever reason develops in a home... And so as a young age, a child learns to be jealous of their brother or their sister or their cousin or or perhaps even if their parent marries a a different person than their uh, their biological parent. And they form this jealousy and this resentment towards those things. Cain is bitter. And the Lord basically tells him this, if you'll come with the right sacrifice, I'll accept it. Why are you so bitter? See, he had two choices here. He could make things right with God and do right and be accepted of God. Or he could continue to dwell in his jealousy. What did he do? Obviously, we know the story. He continues to dwell in his jealousy. And then what happens? That's that's the problem with secret hidden sin is that we want to convince ourselves if I conceal it, I can also conceal what I do about it, how I respond to it. But you know, with all sin, there are consequences. And one of the consequences of a secret hidden sin like jealousy is that it always propels us to do something about it. When a man lusts, guess what? It's going to propel him to act. When a person hates, guess what it's going to do? Eventually, it's going to propel them to act. In jealousy, it's the exact same way that when a person lies jealous of other people or other things, it is eventually going to cause that to make its way out and propel them into action. And so when Cain decides not to serve God and make it right with God, it propels him to action that he sees Abel out in the field and he's working and he rises up in his anger 
and he kills him. Yet that's not the only story in Genesis where we find one of the defining characters is jealousy. What about Joseph? That was the first example that came to my mind is Joseph. Now Joseph, I think, provoked some of it. Nonetheless, there Joseph is with his brothers. You know, the book of Acts chapter 7, verse 9 and 10 tells us that the patriarchs moved with envy and sold their brother Joseph into Egypt. Now, I want to point this out for a minute. It says the patriarchs. I think that's an important point because what it tells us is this. Nobody, as great as they might be, as renowned as they were to those people that Stephen was preaching to in Acts chapter 7, when you look back at the patriarch, they put them up on a pedestal. And yet what the author or what Stephen is preaching to these people is he's saying, listen, even the patriarch was moved with jealousy towards their brother in so much that they desired to murder him as he was coming out to Dothan and he was going to tell his brothers about something. They looked out and they saw him coming a long way away and none of them conspired together and say, you know what? Let's kill that young boy. I'm sick of the way that Father him. I'm sick, sick of his attitude and how exalted he is. And they had all coveted together that when he gets there, they're going to kill him. And finally, his brother Reuben steps in and says, hey, hold on a second. Let's not do that. Let's just put him down here, down here into this uh, empty water cistern and leave him down there and we'll figure out something to do later. And so that's what they did is they throw him down in this cistern and Reuben goes away and his brothers, as they're contemplating what they're going to do with them, there a group of Ishmaelites come by and they decide, you know what? Let's just sell him into slavery and tell father that he was murdered by an animal. And so that's what they did. So think about this. What propelled their actions as hideous and awful to their own brother that it could be was the fact that they were jealous of him in so much that they would even go as far to kill him or sell him into foreign bondage. Don't you recognize this morning that jealousy today can do the exact same thing in your heart? It can take you places like all sin, especially hidden sin, that you ultimately have no interest in going there. And yet jealousy can often spawn immediate action that when you dwell on it and it fuels your life and it filters the filter through which or the lens through which you see the world. It's all around you all the time in moments where you have an opportunity to lash out because of jealousy. Oftentimes we do and we go a lot further than we ever intended. Joseph, now I'm thankful that God used their jealousy for God's good, and God can do that. But they're still accountable for what they did. And then we read the ultimate story of jealousy, and who's that? That's Jesus. The Bible tells us that those men who killed Jesus, that Pilate... As the case comes before him and he sees all the evidence and he sees the witnesses and he hears all the things, it says that he perceived that they brought him before him because of jealousy. You can go back and read through the book of John and you can see as you go through beginning at about chapter 5, you can begin to see that the Pharisees are progressively and the Sanhedrin are progressively 
irritated by what Jesus is doing in so much that they go further and further and further trying to stop him, trying to prevent him, trying to call his, his power into question, trying to get him disciplined in some way. If you read the book of John starting in chapter five, they're progressively getting worse and worse and their attempt to squelch what Jesus is doing and the movement that he has created and the effect that it's having on all these people. Think about this. Jesus is doing ultimate good and they hate him for the good that he's doing. That's the one thing about jealousy is you know that you have a jealous heart and that jealousy is grabbing a hold of you when you see somebody doing good things, helpful, godly, righteous things, and you still are jealous over what they're doing. That's when you know it's gone from, you know, I struggle with this and I have to repent of it to it's beginning to grab a hold of who I am. And we got to be careful. Really, because the spirit of love tells us that when our brother or sister prospers, we ought to rejoice in their prospering. We ought to be glad and thankful and go as far to give God thanks for how he is blessing them because they're our relative. They're, we want them to do good. You know, that's what social media has opened up the world to today. And I think that's why jealousy is so prominent today. Because to be jealous, you've got to have your eyes open and your ears open. Well, now our eyes and our ears see a lot farther and hear a lot more than any group of people in the history of the world. You can spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All of us could. We could all spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week watching different content on our little devices and never get close to touching just 1% of what you can consume that's out there. And so what do we do so often? You know, that's why it's so important to protect the eyes of your children and the ears of your children. Not even just from bad content. That's obvious, right? It's obvious. Don't let your kid watch pornographic material or, or material that has cursing or adult, what they call, uh, what is it, a thematic or adult thematic material. It's obvious not to let them do that. But you know what? Another thing that's really important is that we don't whet their appetite to create an envious or jealous heart. And if they're exposed to all the things of the world that they can go out and, and get that they'll never attain, they'll never get all of it, then it may create in them a desire for it. And when they don't get it and other people do, guess what? They become jealous. They become envious. I think there's a lot of unhappy people out there who spend their life comparing what they have to what other people have and just revel in their malcontentment. They just sit and just, woe is me. My life is so awful. Look at how good this life is. And look at mine. There was no boundary to what they did. You know, the thing about Jesus' death and the way that they acted there as they progressively got worse in the, their treatment of Jesus is not only that they killed him, think about the way that they killed him. I'm not just talking about the physical stuff. I'm saying they were so resentful at the status that Jesus had reached, regardless of whether he was really the Messiah or not. 
They were so resentful that their followers were becoming his followers, that he was proclaiming a message that was not the message they were proclaiming, and yet his had power and authority, and there was something different about it. And rather than considering on faith whether what Jesus was saying was true and right or not, they became so resentful that they were willing to get together a bunch of false witnesses, rush through a trial, and even in the middle of the trial, there's all these contradictions, there's all these things that don't make sense, and they say, you know what? We don't care what the evidence is. We want this man dead. And the fuel behind it is because we've ultimately got to silence him and get back to our peak or get back to the top of the pyramid that we're the ones that everybody follows. We're the source of truth because he has stolen our mantle. And so they ignore the evidence and they go down to Pilate. And Pilate senses, you know what? I'm looking at the evidence. I've heard Jesus' own words. I've listened to the evidence brought before me. This isn't adding up. I don't think he's guilty of anything. And in order to get out of it, because I sense that they just delivered him for jealousy, I'm going to bring Barabbas out here and let Barabbas be the one, because certainly these people would choose to release Barabbas, a notable criminal, than this innocent man. And look at how deep and hotly that their jealousy burned. They said, give us the convicted murderer. Give us the man who's a notable criminal who tried to create an insurrection. Give us him, but put down this man who's in the place that we want to be. And then what did they do? They subjected him to a deep, torturous death. And many of them were unremorseful. This morning... I guess if there's something that I would like to say, it's this. The hidden sins of the heart have a way of controlling us and us not even realizing it. And I fear that as people get older and they practice or allow these sins to be practiced in their heart over and over and over, that they practice them so routinely and it begins to be such a natural part of what governs their life, they don't even realize it. This morning, I pray that God would reveal to you not just about being jealous of people because maybe that's not the thing you struggle with. Maybe it's not the secret hidden sin of your heart. But recognize what this proverb says. There are a lot of things that are powerful. The power of jealousy and where it will take you has no end. It will cause you to kill God. It's what these people did. They killed God. And left unrepented of, hidden sin will do the same to you and it'll do the same to me. That's why the Bible, and I'll close with this, that's why the Bible is so clear about the power of confession. You know, today in our world, we don't hear a lot about confession, confession of sin. But did you know there is an inherent power in confessing our sins both before God and other people? I did say, and other people. You know, sometimes it's easy to confess things about God because you know he already knows it. But you know what makes, can be really difficult? Is when we confess our sins before one another. And we say, I struggle with this. This is down deep in my heart and I don't know what to do about it. I've held on to this for many, many years. There's an inherent humility because what it does is it makes us 
choose to be subordinate to other people in our own mind. I am saying in my own mind, I am going to make myself beneath these people and confess the struggles of my heart. It's either that or people make a fort. They take their hidden sins and it's like, uh, maybe this isn't a good example, I don't know it well enough, but my boys brought it up this week, Fort Knox. You just take the sin that begins to control your heart and you bury it deep in the ground and you fortify it and everything valuable about Fort Knox and the reason why it's well known is because what lies underground. If what was underground wasn't there, guess what? Fort Knox wouldn't be that important. And very often what begins to define who we are is what we bury, what we hide. This morning, I want to implore you today that if there is if there is a hidden sin that is more and more taking over your character in your life, repent of it and go to God and ask for help for it. Because in the presence of that will be the absence of the character that God is trying to create in you. I pray this morning that God would help us all to consider the things that lie in our heart. He alone can reveal these things and the extent of those things uh, this morning. And I pray that the word of God would, would do its work today.